good to see you all here this morning and to corporately worship together our Lord and Savior. I asked Sid to do the scripture reading this morning in preparation for this, today's message from the King James Version of the Bible. Not only because I know he likes that version so much, but also I was hoping that would stimulate us to remember some of these verses that we probably learned when we were children or a very long time ago in that particular vernacular and it would bring it back to our memories. Maybe we could actually dust off some of those uh, that are they're deeply embedded these in, our, in the recesses of our minds and just dust them off a little bit. The message is going to be taken from that section. As it's, If you're in your notes and you're following along, you'll see specifically. Uh, but last week, Mark's sermon was about following God and referred to a conclusion in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we know what Ecclesiastes was probably written by the, by the preacher, most likely by Solomon, later in his life. And after going through all these endeavors of trying to find peace and happiness and stuff, he comes to a conclusion. And Mark used part of the, the conclusion in his, in his message last, last week. And I'd just like to repeat those verses again. It was be chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to use verses 13 and 14. And it actually says, the conclusion, when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Some of us tend not to pay too much attention to the Old Testament law. Maybe we should pay a little more attention to it. After all, we're at this point, we're living under, in the new covenant, under grace. But we really don't want to throw out or disregard any of the Old Testament, even though we're under grace. And praise God for his grace. The law is still stream, extremely important. The law describes as, as a schoolmaster, one to bring us to Christ, and actually to bring others to Christ too. We have Paul in Galatians 3.24 stating this, Therefore the law has been our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So we see the law, it leads us to Christ. The law also shows us what sin is. Paul writes in the same verse, how would we know sin if it was not for the law? And in Romans 7, 7, he goes on to write, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known what uh, coveting is except from the law, if the law said, you shall not covet. Here's an obvious reference to the Tenth Commandment. The law itself also has not been nullified. It has not been made void and it has not been abolished. Paul in his discourse now on justification by faith, he writes in Romans 3.31, do we then nullify the law through faith? He says, may it never be. King James probably says, God forbid. On the contrary, we establish the law. So we've established the law through faith. Now we understand that keeping the law and trying to keep the commandments, they'll never save us. We'll never be justified by it. We could never keep them in their purity and holiness that, that was intended. 
And we're not just found just by keeping the law or in today's vernacular by being good enough. For we would never be good enough. Romans 3.20 states, Because by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 3.11 No one is justified by the law before God, for it is evident the righteous man shall live by faith. So our righteousness does not come from keeping the law, but by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved us and died for us and rose again and will come back for us. Yet the law remains. It leads us to Christ. It shows us what sin is and it has not been nullified. So the question is, why have so many of us, so much of the world also, have basically disregarded the law? Many of our institutions today have disregarded them. Our courthouses have taken down the Ten Commandments. Many schools have excluded them, and they're never spoken of in the classroom. Many of our leaders do not hold fast to them or even acknowledge their importance in their personal lives or in their platforms. And if you think about it, most of America, their moral conduct seems to have thrown the law out in the trash. In the New Testament, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount address in Matthew 5, verses 17 through uh, 19 states this, Do not think that I've come to abolish, or as the King James says, to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish or destroy, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What a powerful statement by our Lord. Jesus in Matthew 5 goes on to correct some of the misunderstanding and explain some of the meaning behind a few of the commandments. You shall not murder. Hating, being angry, stems for what? Sinful motives and leads us, a brother, to maybe physically murder somebody. And if not, what Jesus is talking about is that hatred in the heart has murdered him also. It's murder in one's heart. You shall not commit adultery, Jesus tells us in another, and consists of more than just a physical act of unfaithfulness. It's, he tells us what the, a lustful look produces adultery in the heart. And Jesus goes on to clarify much of the laws that had to do with divorce and oaths and many other things. But explaining the real significance of the law by telling us it involves the heart. It's not just the external following of rules, but it's a heart issue. And in doing so, Jesus did not throw out the law at all. He explained it, the real meaning behind it, and basically is telling us our own hearts need to ponder it, confess it, and repent of our sins through it. We see in Matthew 22, after Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, one of the Pharisees, who was a lawyer, asked him a question. Testing him, he says, 
Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus replies to him, what? We all know it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And he goes on to say that the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, if we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that the first four of them, right, we just read them over, have to do with our relationship with God. And they're fulfilled by what? Loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our minds. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the remaining six of the commandments deal with our relationships with each other. And they're fulfilled by what? Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Again, I will say that Jesus did not throw out the law, but explained and gave clarity to them and gave the real meaning behind them. Now, I think most of you would agree, even non-Christians, that the act of stealing, murder, adultery, lying, not dishonoring your parents, they're all evil acts. They're all sins. Now, society may have watered them down and justified their actions in other cases but, and made light of them, but they still abide. The law still abides. Now, that was in reference to the last of the six, command, uh, six commandments. But what about the first four? The ones that deal with their relationship with God, the greatest and foremost command. Where do we stand in observing these commandments? I believe each one of us would agree with every one of them. This is why I want to just look at one of them specifically today. I'd like us to reflect upon the fourth commandment. If you can remember them in order, the fourth commandment. I recently heard a series of messages on this topic and have become convicted of how I view the fourth commandment. For this reason, I'm kind of sharing my thoughts on it today with you. I'd like us together to do a little exploration and maybe self-examination into what the scriptures have to say about the fourth commandment. I'm doing this with hopes that you will listen, consider, consider the texts, and resolve in your own hearts what is biblical and apply it to your own personal walk with the Lord. Again, if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, I'll be dealing with verses 8 through, tw uh, 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. And that will be our text, basically, for today. Let me read it now together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servants or your cattle, or as a sojourner who stays with you, for in six days the Lord made heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Before I get into the text, let's open in prayer. Father, help us to understand how to give you glory by doing what you have instructed us, Lord. Help us not to be judgmental of others who do not feel the same way as ourselves, but help us to honor and worship 
and to bring you glory with respect and reverence that you deserve and that you have commanded. Help us to love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. And Father, let us hear from you this day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8. What's the commandment in this text? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Pretty simple statement. It's not difficult to understand. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God is concerned about the sanctity of one day out of the seven days of the week. One day. How many of you guys out there remember the blue laws? Do you remember the blue laws, right? Now, growing up here on Long Island, we had the blue laws. And the blue laws were basically the laws that forbid regular daily commerce from being carried on on the Sundays. The stores were not open. The mall was closed. The parking lots were empty, which made it a great place to actually teach someone how to drive a car, as I remember doing. The hospitals were open, but not fully staffed. They probably didn't schedule any major surgeries for the Sunday. Pharmacies were open, but only for a selected period of time, only for a couple hours. Sunday was a day of rest. It was a day unlike the other six. Regular businesses were not carried on. After all, what could you buy in seven days that you couldn't buy in six? And somehow we survived. There are some places in the United States that still have these laws, but most places are now called, what, archaic, and they're ancient history. But in truth, it was not that long ago. A lot of us remember them. Sunday was a special day, a day set aside, a day not like the other six. Then things started to change. Little by little, business would be open seven days a week. I remember working in a grocery store that was not open on Sunday. This chain was proud of the fact that in its slogan it would say, this family-owned business had a day off, so should you. That didn't last very long. After their Sunday closing was a thing of the past, the store still was restricted in selling certain items such as beer and alcohol and stuff like that. So they'd have that aisle closed, and if they had refrigerated beer or whatever, they'd put covers over it so no one can take it out of the cooler or out of the refrigeration section. But that has probably gone by the wayside, too. Now, we know there's one major fast food chain that still honors the Sabbath, thank God, and it honors our Heavenly Father in doing so. They view it, as we should, as a special day a day set aside, a day set aside apart to God. Now, as a child, having the privilege of growing up in a God-fearing home, one where we would go to church every Sunday, and if we were on vacation somewhere away from home, which is very rare, we'd find a church there of like precious faith and worship there. I remember as a child that my father was always wear a suit to church, Six days a week, he would be in the sawdust-embedded overalls and 
clothes, but when it came to Sunday, he put his suit on. As my brothers and sisters, throughout the week, we had play clothes, and then you had your school clothes, but on Sunday, you had your Sunday clothes, special clothes. During the Saturday in preparation for Sunday, I remember we were polish our shoes for the Sunday service. Not so much for the service, but for the day. We would go over our Sunday school homework to make sure it was done before Sunday school. We would rehearse our memory verse. So Sunday, we would get up, we'd go to Sunday school, followed by the morning worship service. We would attend services again at night. The evening service was always filled with joyful songs and a time of singing. And there'd be a time of favorite hymns that people would pick out that we would sing together. Wonderful songs of praise to God. This was the Lord's Day, a special day, a day set aside to the Lord. Got to say how things have changed. Verse 8 of the text says this, Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. The NIV states it this way. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now what does the word holy mean? Holy means to set apart, to consecrate, to sanctify. We are to sanctify the day, set it apart from the other six. Were there not seven days of the week that God has made? Did he not call just one of them holy? It should be different. It's a holy day. God saw fit to establish it as one of the Ten Commandments. It is his day, not ours, even though it was made for man. The recognition of the fact that the Sabbath day is a day different from the other six is critical for us to understand and observe it correctly. I'm going to repeat that. The recognition of the fact that the Sabbath day is different from the other six is critical for us to observe it correctly. We must understand it's different. It is holy. It is to be set apart. Verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We see here a pattern that was set up by God, the Lord God. In Genesis, we see how he worked each day and brought a new part of creation into being each day and he did it for what six days we are to do our work in six days get it done get what needs to be done in, in preparation for this special day the lord's day verse 10 goes on to say but the seventh day of the sabbath is a sabbath for the lord your god in it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Sabbath, what does that mean? Sabbath means to rest, to cease from work. This ceasing of work was for you, your sons, your daughters, your servants, your cattle, and the visitors or guests in your home. 
Remember back when the children of Israel left Egypt, they were wandering in the desert. The Lord gave the people manna to eat in the mornings. Exodus 16, verses 12 through 38 is where it's found. And they would gather it each morning, just enough for each day, except for the sixth day. They were instructed to gather twice as much on the sixth day. Now, normally the manna was just enough for each person to have for that day and eat. If anything was left over to the next morning, it would breed worms. It would become foul. It was not fit to eat. But on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much and prepare it. For on the Sabbath morning, the people were instructed not to gather any manna. There wouldn't be any manna out there to gather. But the, uh, the double part, the double portion from the sixth day that they were gathered would be used on that Sabbath morning. And it was perfectly good to eat. It did not become foul. God provided in a special way for the Sabbath, for the day of rest. If we go to back to verse 11 of uh, Exodus chapter 20, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see here that this special observance refers back to creation. God himself set this example. He made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that it contains in six days and rested on the seventh day. Now, how often do we think about that fact when we come to worship on our Lord's Day? This is a day to remember. It's to remind us of the fact that Almighty God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he created all things, and he rested from his labor on the seventh day. He gave us this as an example. Now, God never planned for us to work to recreate or to continue on our crazy, hectic, chaotic pace of life that fills our other six days of the week. It's not healthy for the body, not healthy for the mind, and not healthy definitely spiritually. Working seven days a week causes fatigue, exhaustion, can lead to illness, and may even shorten a person's lifespan. Mental fatigue can occur and make us ill in different ways. And spiritually, we will not receive the blessing that comes from observing the Lord's day. God wants to bestow this blessing upon us. Now in Deuteronomy, the restating of the law, we again find the Ten Commandments given. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, I'll read it. I want to emphasize one of the verses in it. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of the cattle, your sojourner who stays with you, so that you... Uh, your male servant and your female servants may rest as well as you. Verse 15 states this. You shall remember 
that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath. We see here that the Sabbath day was not just observed because of the rest after creation, to honor God as creator, but it's also to be observed due to his redemption of his people. Think of that in lines of what I'm going to read again. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe this day. What a beautiful picture of, re of our redemption. We are being set free from the bondage of sin by Jesus' death and resurrection. So we are redeemed. So we should observe a day set apart to the Lord and glory in the fact that we are free from the sin of bondage. Bondage of sin, excuse me. Now we understand that keeping the seventh day, specifically the seventh day of the week, was given under the Mosaic law, the Sabbath, the seventh day observance. And it's really not repeated in the New Testament. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 states, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to your food or your drink or respect to festivals or to a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which were a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So simply put, our Sunday worship is due to the fact that Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. Being set aside, our redemption was complete because of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. Now the early church seems to have gathered on this day, being the first day of the week, to remember that fact. We see in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it states this, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. That was a full Lord's Day. I guarantee you, you get out of here by midnight. In, Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul instructs the believers there, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay aside and store as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Now if we put these two thoughts together, we see in these verses that the disciples and the early church came together, they had communion, preaching was done, and they gathered their collections on the first day of the week. This seems to be the New Testament day set aside to gather for corporate worship, and thus we continue and follow that. But what about all the other restrictions of the law? Now, Jesus gives clarity in his own words in the New Testament. We see in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, and also Matthew 12, 8, that Jesus states this, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Now, Jesus is basically stating here that the Sabbath was, uh, was made for man as a day of rest, rest from his labor, a blessing, not a curse. But the Pharisees turned it into a, a burdensome day, day of man-made rules and regulations which were laborious and hard to keep throughout the whole day. In the Matthew passage, the disciples were picking and eating grain as they passed through a field on the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees observed this, and they were objected to the work that the Pharisees were doing. Now, these self-righteous Pharisees interpreted the Sabbath law so strict that pulling some grain off a stalk, rubbing it in your hands, and then <laughs> blowing the loose shell that you could eat it to stop from being hungry was considered harvesting or work. Jesus explains that there are works, that there are acts of necessity that need to be done on the Sabbath. He uses the example of David eating the holy showbread, breaking the law, because that showbread was only to be eaten by who? It was to be only eaten by the priests. But he ate it because he was hungry. The bread was only to be eaten by the priests. We need to eat if we're hungry. Jesus also talks about the priest who worked in the temple, the same section, in order to perform their priestly duties for service and worship in the Sabbath day. They worked in the temple. They trimmed the lamps. They burned the incense. They offered sacrifice. Whatever else needed to be done, they did it on the Sabbath. Jesus himself taught on the Sabbath in the temples and in the synagogues. You see, these acts of what I'm going to say, acts of piety, such as pastors working on a Sunday or those who are behind the scenes preparing things for us, maybe refreshments or shoveling snow, getting the building ready on our arrival, these are acts of service, acts of piety unto the Lord. They are good. They are lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus, before healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, in verse 11 of Matthew 12, states this, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. We see these acts of mercy were defended by Jesus as being lawful and good to do on the Lord's day. If you go back and just think of the many healings, acts of mercy that Jesus did on the Sabbath. Matthew 12:10, a man whose hand was withered was healed on the Sabbath. Mark 1, 21 through 26, a man in a synagogue with an unclean spirit, Jesus cast it out on the Sabbath. Luke 13, 11, there was a woman who for 18 years was sick. She was caused to be bent over and could not straighten up. She was healed on the Sabbath. In the house of the one of the leading Pharisees, a man suffering from dropsy, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. John 9, 14, a man blind from birth had his eyes opened by Jesus, who actually made clay, worked, made clay on that day and put it on his on the Sabbath, his eyes were healed. And he, Luke 4, 38, Jesus healed actually Simon 
Peter's mother-in-law of a high fever on the Sabbath day. And she immediately, what? Got up and waited on them. So we see that acts of necessity, acts of piety, acts of mercy are lawful and good to do on the Sabbath, as illustrated by Jesus, the Son of Man, who is the law, Lord of the Sabbath. Every day we live that God gives us breath. We live for him in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, and every mon mundane task that we do, it should be done unto the glory of God. But the Sabbath day is to be special. We don't want it to be a legalistic tradition or a habit or routine. And by being and doing these things, we don't want to think it makes us any holier. It doesn't. And that was a problem of the Jews of Jesus' day. But God has set apart this day not as punishment for us, not for us to suffer under it, not to hinder us from enjoyment, but he set it apart for our good. Now, it should be a day set aside as holy, it is the Lord's day. It's his, not ours. Even though it was established for our good. We have 80, 86,400 seconds in a day. There's 1,440 minutes or 24 hours. How much of that time is his on his holy day? A couple hours in the morning? Maybe in the evening? devotional. The Sabbath day is a special privilege for us. It is not just a day set apart from the other six. It's a day set apart unto the Lord. The day to rest from our labors, but a day to rest in the Lord. A day is set aside to worship him to immerse ourselves in him, to sit at his feet and learn of his wonder and awe of his majesty. A day to enjoy the privilege of God's presence, to study God's word, to fellowship with God's people. A day of prayer, confession, of holy contemplation. A day to do acts of mercy, maybe to visit the sick or the shut-ins. A day set aside to the Lord without the distractions of the toil of labor. A day set apart to the Lord. May each of us give thought to how we are to spend the hours of each of our Lord's day. And in closing, I'd like to read two verses from Isaiah 58. So Isaiah the prophet writes this. He says, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasures on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasures, from speaking your own word, then will I take delight in the Lord. 
and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us to set aside the everyday activities of our busy lives, not bringing them into a day that was set apart for rest in you. Let even this day be a special day, consecrated unto you, our Creator, our Redeemer, a day of privilege and delight in you, a day honorable unto you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.